0: Welcome to the OFM podcast where metabolic health matters. And today's guest in for a conversation is actually a guy I've become good friends with because we have a lot of similarities, which we'll talk about. And yeah, he kind of looks like a wild man like me. He's a wild man with hair. I'm the wild man without hair.
1: (laughs) You should see her when I wake up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I've ever brushed my hair. I haven't brushed my hair probably in the last 20 years.
0: Oh wow. He's Just a wild, he's, wild he's a wild man. He's a great guy. Uh Jesse <laughs> Haynes. And we're gonna have a conversation today. Uh Jesse, welcome.
1: Thank you, Peter, for having me.
0: Yeah. I'm, excited. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna have you. Kira's gonna have you. She can have <laughs> you. She can have you. <laughs> She's great. already got me. She got you. Yeah. <laughs> like they say, for better or for worse.
1: That's right. <laughs> That's
0: right. So our conversation today is is centered around Jesse's journey, uh, not just his own journey, but his journey into ultras and stuff like that. And and Jesse is a working guy. He's got a blue collar, it's sort of a blue white collar job, wouldn't you call it Jesse? Because you get to do everything from manage people, manage projects, to
1: let's call it. Uh, yes, you've you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. on On top of that, we can call it redneck, right? Because the red the, the red next.
0: operating engineers and like <laughs> I said you know working constru-
1: I got every color of the of the collar let's call it that I manage the crew I don't do so much with project management meaning like the, the money side of it I let somebody else handle that but I, I pretty much take care of the job from from start to finish with all the aspects of of the work involved from figuring out what what to do for the day to what's gonna make the project successful from start to end.
0: And a lot of your jobs are starting with a piece of ground, correct? And then doing the earth moving, the underground, the paving gutters, the, the site work for the building, right? That's sort of your area of specialty?
1: Sure, I can clean it up just a little. We actually do demo also. So a lot of the sites that we get are, they already have buildings or there's, there's already something that's been constructed there. Rarely do we get a job that's just straight groundwork because most of the work's in San Diego and property's limited there as far as open space. Um, so most of the projects are de- demolition of existing structures uh, and then transitioning that structure into new groundwork. And yeah, we do, our company does. I, I concentrate mainly on the grading portion. So rip the building down, get rid of it, set up the grades for what the new project is supposed to be and get it all set to rough grade concrete company comes in moves in does their work steel guys put their steel up and during that process our underground team which i work i work in close proximity to them because i understand and have done the underground portions and by underground i mean your water your electric we don't do the electricity but we do water sewer storm drain gas so we'll put we'll put all that in and, and I understand enough to know when our team of Underground should come in to do that and when, and when we can work in close proximity to each other to make the job.
0: You're uh, coordinating all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm personally coordinating all that, yeah. As well as managing, I've had up to, there's been some, sometimes some projects that I've had, it was a crazy time and it's not all the time, but I've had up to 50, 50 different employees on the site at once um, so that's just the parameter of how far an extent you know how many people i'm managing on a daily basis but that's not all the time mainly the crews are anywhere from 10 to 15 something like that
0: yeah yeah and that's 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 in case people don't realize when you're doing this kind of level of construction because i actually did something similar to jesse in a in a former life when you're capable, you end up becoming the foreman, the job manager, the operator, the grade setter and directing yeah. people and traffic. I, I was doing traffic control. Oh God.
1: I never asked to be a foreman. I know, it just, I know.
0: just, it just they, ended up
1: they, happening just because of my nature. I, I don't really, and you can ask my wife about this. I, I see things and I, I can't allow it to happen like that. So I have to say something and I don't, I don't like wasteful time or wasting money on things, and I like to keep. I like to keep the project moving in a successful manner, and that takes a lot to do that. It's not just the task for the day; it's looking ahead for the next week. It's, it's yeah. trying to manage what's what, how many people I need for the next day because we switch. We switch out our crews. We don't have the same crew every single day. It's all a matter of what's needed for that next day.
0: A friend of mine said to me once, "It's the most unprofessional profession there is because." it can get kind of tough working with people because a lot of people don't realize that you have to look ahead and work together. And then it's like you said, Thera said about it, you're like a lion. You come in and take charge so that people can't be just thinking about their bubble. Because when when, when you get people like on a, on a multi-faceted job like you are, you know, a lot of times these guys are thinking for themselves and that's gonna create the bottleneck where it's it's exactly it's it's self defeating for them but the problem is nobody wants to own the responsibility so they blame everybody else
1: <laughs> that's it right there that nobody and, wants to take responsibility for anything and it's just it's yeah. so tough to try to make sure that everybody's got something to do the entire day and the entire time yeah. to the point where even if a machine breaks down i don't just send that guy home i figure out what mm. what what else can i do with him or if they come to the end of what they had done and for some reason, they have to stop. I figure out what, what needs to happen on, a, yeah, on an yeah. hourly basis.
0: It's it's interesting you say that because when I was doing construction, I moved from earth moving to road grinding, asphalt milling. And we'd be doing these jobs. And, you know, you'd have a buried manhole cover. And you just run into that. And all of a sudden, 30 pockets go. And you've got seven dump trucks, your crew, your sweepers, everything, you know, sitting around and I, boy, I, I learned how to weld really well and really <laughs> fast and change teeth really well and really fast because like you say, you know, all of a sudden you get people sitting around and the money really adds up. If it's everybody's working, okay, it's good, everybody's making good money. Everybody should make good money, but boy, when, when something goes sideways. And the clock's ticking it's, it's it gets ugly fast,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure, thousands then, of dollars yeah that's surprising to me in construction we're, we're not the general contractor we we'll, we'll, we'll come in under whoever won the job and they'll get every other trade to come right. in, and so we're not the general contractor, and it's amazing to me how much these general contractors that are in charge of the job don't really even know what needs to happen next and I, I I take a lot of that on my own shoulders to make sure that because I want the job to go smooth that I'll, I'll, I'll end up talking to the other subcontractors, like the electricians or the plumbers or the concrete guys. And I'll, I'll make sure that everybody's on, in, in tune with what's happening in the next couple of days so that we don't have to sit there and wait for them to get their stuff done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If they got some other jobs they need to go catch up on, go do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to a point, one of the things that just occurred to me that's really germane to this conversation is, and it's really about this conversation is you're you're doing well. You just came off a second place finish at Leona Divide under some really gnarly hot conditions at the age of almost fifty, and now you're fifty.
1: I am fifty. I turned fifty in November. So.
0: Okay. So you were fifty. At fifty, you 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 bagged a second place. Finish yeah. it. How old was the guy who won? it? I think he was young. I think wasn't he was he?
1: thirty. I think he was thirty-four. I'm yeah. not 100% sure. I know that I've raced against him before, uh, unknowingly. I didn't know he was actually in this race. I never actually know who's in the race. I don't. I don't look too much at the at the uh, entrance list and focus on it too much. But uh, he, he's a solid, solid racer. And I've he's also
0: 34. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: He's not. Uh, he's not fifty, and and so the point I wanted to make here, and have you talk a little bit about, is the kind of work you do because I've done it. It tends to take a huge toll on people from from a health perspective.
1: In what aspect do you mean? Like lungs? I mean, most
0: look at your colleagues that you're working with, the guys you're out there doing the job that you're managing.
1: Yeah, they're not. They're not in physical shape to. I mean the physical shape that they're, they're living off of
0: coffee, cigarettes, and Red Bull.
1: Oh, their diet is yeah terrible. As a matter it's, of fact, it's it's super interesting that w- with what I do and the way they see me eat, they think I'm just some health nut. But it's actually helped them because they see what I'm eating and they're asking about it. So I've I've gotten to have quite a few conversations about about it. And there's there's a lot of guys that are that have. Turn their focus to more of a health, healthy, healthy lifestyle, to, eating wise. I'd love that.
0: to help you with those guys because you know the, the, like I said, you know the, a lot of these classic male-dominated work environments, and yeah, there's women coming into construction, there's women coming into flying, but like, airline pilots were the same thing, you know, they had the eight-hour bottle to throttle rule, you know, so they drank. When they were off, they smoked, they didn't eat it very good and they certainly didn't exercise. Operating engineers, the, the, the you know uh, the labor union, the uh, what do they call it the pipe fitters union and the iron workers. I mean, th- these guys are really tough, hardworking guys so they're physically active, but a lot of the job demands combined with the diet and the hours,
1: Oh yeah, they're drinking energy drinks, and definitely a bunch of them are smoking and yeah. smoking.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all this stuff of nicotine, caffeine, energy drinks to kind of keep them going, and they tend to have a you know a big burnout rate. Agreed. So yeah, yeah. So and you're kind of like a shining example, and and that's great to hear that some of the guys you're working with are kind of like paying attention.
1: Yeah, it's really funny. There's some. There's a couple in my office. I don't ever go to the office, rarely, let's put it that way. I don't say ever uh, because I go there at times, but there's a couple of them that actually have done a few races. So, and they, they're they super interested in it. I Just because I'm, I'm gone so much from, for doing 100 mile races during during the summer, in summer months, I, I take off a number of different times and gotten to the point where I actually share with the whole company the, the, the link that shows the race, the race link that shows, you know, how you can track and they're, they're always, they're always very supportive of that. And um, so it's, it's kind of cool to see that I'm kind of have an influence on some of the people in construction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of move on. Why don't you tell us your start with your story, you know, how you got into, you know, what you start at the very beginning, like how you grew up briefly, you know, just run through sort of quickly how you grew up, what you were doing, how you got out here to California, got into ultras. You're
1: probably going to regret asking that question because I'm going to refer back to my wife. She says I talk too much. So <laughs> let's see how this goes. Let,
0: let, you tell your wife. <laughs> we we could talk to, I could talk to her like a, a construction worker. Like, remember you got in trouble for saying Oh, something? yeah. Yeah. Like say, like I don't want saying,
1: to tell that story. <laughs> shut
0: the up you know what <laughs> up <Kira>. here
1: <laughs> i didn't Jesse tell her talking. to shut up i just i, I, I used I used, the, I used a word that was not nice uh in yeah. in the midst of a sentence and uh she's yes. like i can't believe you said that and i was like oh, i'm sorry i was just i was just i brought the job site back and it's no, shortly after i got she
0: home she doesn't understand it's like i was telling you you know back in the day when i was grinding asphalt it was like every other word that came out of my mouth started with the letter f and it wasn't fun
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not. So yeah, anyway, I'm actually uh off work right now. I'm I'm back at the property that and in let's call it the location where I grew up because we switched different prop to different properties while I was growing up, but in Wisconsin, it's a small town. Uh the name of the town is Phillips. It's like it's in the center of the state, just an hour south of Lake Superior. So wintertime, super harsh conditions. I've seen minus sixty degrees Fahrenheit, sixty below zero. Uh but it also gets hundred and I've seen it a hundred and twenty here. So we have definitely the extremes. Made it through high school as soon as I got out of high school, started working immediately for a cranberry company and worked for the cranberry company for twelve years. And
0: what um, were you doing for them?
1: I was operating, but it's a farm. It's it's basically a farm. So you're you're cutting grass, knocking down weeds, putting roundup on plants that are, that we don't want in the cranberry fields. And I was digging ditches, uh, making new cranberry beds. You have to put a crown on the bed so that all the water flows away from the high point so that they don't sit in water all the time, um, which is not really a known, nobody really knows. I can't say nobody. Most people don't know how cranberries grow, but it's just a, f- a flat surface that they grow on and there's they're dry for other than four different times out of the year they're they're in complete dry conditions um, now,
0: did, uh, did you grow up in, in town or did you grow up on a, in a semi rural setting
1: Oh yeah it was definitely it was seven seven miles from town and town is okay. only two miles long no stoplights no major stores Yeah, one grocery store four gas stations and about 12 bars uh, so <laughs> it was very small
0: yeah so what what kind of industry besides cat cranberry supported that
1: oh that town this town is actually my dad used to call it a sleeping giant because there's one two three four five four or five different multi-million dollar companies that are located in this town iap which is a an air products company they they make huge fans send them all okay. over the world and there's the corrugated cardboard facility called it was used to be called mark whip that was global then there was a filth plastics company that was started out of a garage and expanded to their they're definitely global in multi multi-million dollar probably this at this point in time it would be billion dollars i'm sure so there's those those are the kind of four big ones, but there were also others that were multi multi million dollar companies that that were here. So <laughs> because and it employed a lot of the town. Hardwood companies they made paper. Uh, just many, many different many different types of industry that was that was here located in Phillips. But their biggest was probably the um, tourism. It was probably the biggest. Over the summertime would would been You know fishing wintertime hunting snowmobiling in the winter they make they make a lot of money in this area off of that but the town never got any bigger than 1500 people i remember the sign saying 1500 people and i just went past the sign the other day and it's still 1503 so (laughs) i guess a lot of people are moving out and moving in at the same time but
0: well, Oops. that's what it says. The census, the census of 2010 was 1,478 people. So oh, uh, really? Yeah, the, yeah. T-
1: the sign says 15 now, unless I misread it, but I don't think I would get that many numbers yeah, yeah, off.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's rounded.
1: <laughs> right. So small town, I got um, kind of got a start in uh, the endurance world, not until I would say the age of 24, somewhere in there. My brother was actually the first of our family, family of seven, seven children and I was second in line and I had a brother that was running cross country track and doing really well. Uh, he had a scholarship to the University of Wisconsin for running. So he went from uh, division two high school to a division one college and wasn't as successful there but uh, definitely had, had some wheels. He won the state championship uh, in his senior year I uh, also had a sister running in that was underneath him. That was the next one in line. She, she was also a track star. She went to the University of Wisconsin as well. I don't know if she got a scholarship or not. She may have. Uh, now that I'm saying this, I'll have to ask her. But she actually went on to be a, she's now a coach for St. Mary's University in Texas. So in Dallas, Texas. Okay. So division, division One college team. And she's, she's country been... She, in track? Cross-country and track, yeah. She went from being an assistant coach in as at Arizona, no, New Mexico State, to she was assistant coach there. And then she went to head coach at Northwestern University. And Northwestern University was uh, – St. Mary's actually sought her out, so she's she's now there. So that's just a little bit of background with a couple of brothers and sisters. Uh, you grew
0: up in a pretty athletic, competitive environment.
1: Well, we were competitive. We weren't always competitive in athletics, but yeah, our family was definitely, definitely had a competitive gene. And, but like I said, I got my start in, in doing activities because I saw his success in cross country. So I would, in the winter time, I actually started snowshoeing. So I kind of got my start there and then I moved on to mountain biking.
0: You're doing competitive snow snowshoe racing? Yeah, competitive social racing. Man, that's an aerobic, that's a that's a lung buster.
1: Totally. Oh, man. And I did not know how to race. I would go from the gun and go as hard as I could till I died. <laughs> and I did <laughs> I continued that. I continued that type of racing all the way through um, my mountain biking section of life which was between 24 and 30. About 6 years I did it and I got up to the expert ranks okay. and I don't know if I ever finished the year off other than I can't remember what placement I was. I never really won one of those, but I was always competitive in them. But I think it's because I think it was only competitive. I could have been better if I would have treated it like I treat my ultras, which was pace yourself a little bit. Yeah. I would always go out hard because mountain biking is, whoever can get to the single track first is the person that's going to not be holding, be held up by everybody. So it was always a sprint, sprint, for, the, sprint for the single track and then you just maintain that and mountain biking is a sport where you have to you're either you're going full bore the entire time because if you're on the flat you don't want to lose momentum and when you're on a hill you have to go fast otherwise you're going to go backward and so you just the only rest breaks you get is on a downhill not even so much that because everybody's trying to catch you so it was a two hour there were about two hour races and but it was during that time that i got that competitive spirit and started down the road of super, being super healthy. And I actually, you asked for it, you said, how'd you get your start? Um, during that time, I got involved in a TV show, it was called Global Extremes. And it was it, the intent of it was to take uh, a group of 50 people and whittle it down to five people to climb Mount Everest. And it was through taking us through different, different uh, activities. So We would do the first activity was all kinds of adventure racing in Moab, which took it down to 24 people. It was a three-day event. Then the next event was like a month later in Aspen, Colorado, and we had to do a bunch of snow, a bunch of snow orienteering and climbing. uh, Ice. We didn't do any ice climbing there, but how to rappel, how to slide down a mountain, all kinds of skills for outdoors like that. And then they whittled it down from 24 people to 12 there, and I was actually one of the 12 that got picked to go on to a three month journey around the world. We went first to South Africa uh, for three weeks. Then we went to Costa Rica for three weeks. And then the final place was Iceland for three weeks. And what they were trying to do was see how everybody reacted to these different types of extremes in activities uh, because they wanted to find five individuals that would be um, able to climb Mount Everest and be successful at it. I got cut at the last spot in, after Iceland by my teammates. We weren't supposed to vote each other off. So it was kind of like a survivor type deal. Um, but when I was in Costa Rica, which was the second location, we uh, had to do some surfing and I caught a wave on my first time out and I was like, oh, this is great. It was so much fun. And a couple of the other people that were on the TV show, they're like, yeah, you look like a California boy. You need to go to California. and. uh I actually had the opportunity, one of the ladies had a house and she said, I got a three bedroom house and you could live there for as long as you want until you find a job. Uh, which I know what everybody's probably thinking or what it sounds like, but she had a boyfriend and I was friends with him, eventually became friends with him, but so it wasn't like what you might think. <laughs> so, um, moved to California and have been there ever since. And I quit mountain bike what racing. It
0: was the TV show that brought you to California.
1: It was the, that's, yeah, let's go full circle. It was the TV show that got me to experience all these things that I hadn't done before. And California was a great place to do almost all of those because you have the surf, the mountain bike areas, the trails that you have winter. You have, you have pretty much everything in, in California that you can, that's full of it. It's full of adventure. So I ended up not competing in mountain biking anymore just because I know my style and I don't really I don't really look after I don't have a I don't have a fear bone I'll just go for it and the, the trails are so rocky and technical in California compared to what I was used to that I figured you know what I'm gonna end up injuring myself so I switched into uh, cycling uh, road cycling instead and I did a bunch of road cycling races uh, a couple endurance road cycling races that were Multi-day uh, was doing great in those, uh, and started developing a love for the trails. Um, while I was road racing, also because that's where I would train is on trails. Uh, so I started doing a couple trail races, half marathon distance, ten k distance.
0: In terms of year, was this?
1: Oh, good, good question. So I moved to California in 2003. I think the tra- the trail running started almost immediately since when I moved there. I never really competed in racing. Trail races um, until maybe two thousand five, two thousand six. In the meantime, thinking, I was only train. I was only riding the road bike and training for things because I was a snowshoe racer, <laughs> right? I didn't really br- put that into the aspect of it. I would travel. From Wisconsin to Colorado to do these big snowshoe races. Um, by big, got, I mean
0: you must have gotten your ass kicked then going from Wisconsin altitude to Colorado.
1: Well, I kicked my own ass because I didn't yeah, really yeah, realize no, that, my, that my elevation, you. the elevation yeah. difference was was there. But when I got done with the race, I was messed up, like oh, headache.
0: God. You and must have cooked your lungs. Oh, I,
1: uh, I was messed up after every race. Uh, my entire mind. my entire body was just just yeah it was it was not it was not a good scenario to to go from no elevation to elevation You would have
0: been better off being a a, a snowshoe trainer in colorado and going to wisconsin to race right
1: (laughs) right exactly but yeah that was my focus for probably 2003 to 2007 i was doing all my activities to 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 be a really good snowshoe racer because there was a talk at one point in time that snowshoeing was going to be coming into the olympics um. So that was the the talk, and I was like, I want to I want to do snowshoe racing in the Olympics. I don't know if it is yet or not, but but the distances Wait, were. I I think,
0: think pickleball surpassed snowshoe. Yeah, like
1: <laughs> curling. Not yeah. to say anything bad about curling. I actually watch it. Yeah, you're from Wisconsin. Um, yeah, but let's see where was I going with that? Uh, yeah, snowshoe racing. So you was were my doing main the focus. trail
0: running to train for your. and the
1: road racing road road riding
0: snowshoe racing
1: snowshoeing yeah
0: okay where was so where did the snowshoeing get derailed uh
1: about 2007. i was i was part of the u.s national team in 2006 i think and we i traveled to, to i went to italy twice for for a big race there it wasn't it wasn't anything involved with like world known but you know, there was a couple. Is the biggest races that we had, that I had seen, three thousand people in one race, but it was short. Like,
0: did the, did the Slovenians compete?
1: Oh, it was mostly Italians because that's where it was. But Slovenia is right
0: next door, and their skiers, their cross-country skiers, are like dominators for a little country.
1: Yeah. To be honest with you, I didn't look at the okay. three the Cross-trail. three the three individuals that finished ahead of me. I didn't look at what they. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't third. But uh, I, I I didn't really notice what their okay. what their nationalities were. I think it was mostly just because it was a local local area. I think it was mostly Italian. Okay. Uh, but at any rate, moving forward to my trail trail days, I would start I would start doing the trail running trail racing, and it was mainly short stuff like five k's. It was there was a series that was called the Devil Devil Dog series, and there were five k races, and. Uh, they were. I'd go to the race, and they were over in whatever, five k. I can't even remember what I was doing them in twenty minutes or something. So, you know, I started to get the bug to do to do longer. So I would do half marathon, a couple half marathons here and there, and it was at one of the half marathon. What well, okay.
0: half marathon trail races? Half
1: marathon trail races. I actually did thirty k. Um, it was Nancy Shura's bulldog races and it was Mm -hmm. a fifth there was a 50k race there also and i was like who the heck is going to do a 50k i was like you'd have to do two loops of this race it's like there's no way i would ever do one she actually came up to me after one of the races that i did that was her 30k and she's like so next year are you going to do the 50k and i was like absolutely not i couldn't even dream of going around that loop one more time so that happened one year and then the next year i did the the I think she switched it to a 25K then. So it was the first year was a 30K. The second year was a a 25K. And that's where I met Kira. She was helping somebody, or she was putting medals on the finish line, people. I had finished the race, and she was talking with a couple of the guys that I was friends with. And I met her there and sort of stalked her on Facebook because that's about the time Facebook was. And this is now two thousand, from 2007 to about, that was 2007 that i was competing in snowshoeing so 2007 to 2010 in that three-year period i didn't do a whole a whole lot of like concentrating on racing i okay. bought a house was fixing up the house and i was into yoga doing a bunch of yoga um, so 2010 is when i met her i didn't actually like reach out to her till 2011 but i started seeing her in 2011 and she had she had owned leona divide or she had just started doing the the trail race leona divide and i got the bug to, i had actually looked at her 50k trail race and i said hey do you know of a good 50k trail race to do and she's like how about mine
0: so nancy okay. you're never going to run a 50k with nancy but you meet kira and all of a sudden <laughs> i i don't know yeah. what what what, what I think your big brain was not stopped thinking a little <laughs> different brain than had put over here.
1: <laughs> well, I actually, when I was stalking her, I saw that, uh, you know, I think ultra signup was around at that time. If it wasn't, it was that other uh, athlete, athletes, I think was, it was what it was. I saw that she had done something like six or eight 50 Ks in one year. And I was like, how can anybody do that many 30 mile plus races in one year? I had done up to that point, maybe three marathons. I did do a couple marathons also in that time period. Uh, I won't get into what those, what, what surrounded those, but yeah, I mean, I was like 30 mile race. I said one a year would be enough. Um, so after meeting her, we went maybe our second, third time dating or something like that. She took me out for a 25 mile run just for fun. Mm. And I'm like, wait, we're going to go for a 25 mile run for fun. I was like, all right, I'm all in. Let's do this. See, see, what,
0: see what women will make you do?
1: Yeah. About five miles from the end, uh, she was struggling a little. And I was like, ah, I'm fine. She's like, you're a born ultra runner. And I was like, oh, well, thank you for saying that. But I've never done one. So, <laughs> but yeah, 2011, I think my first start seeing her in February, my first. Uh, 50 K was in March, something like Is March
0: 19th,
1: so no, it was actually Oroflame. It was in the um, mountains that they run the San Diego 100 course on. Okay. Okay. So that was my first one. One month later, I did another one. Another month later, I did another one. It just, it just progressed. I was hooked. Um, I ended up doing eight 50 K eight or nine different 50 K's in 2011. and one fifty mile to finish the year off. I did my first 50 mile in, in the same year, uh, which I won. So okay. all, of, all of my- Was that all Leona of my, Divide? I didn't run Leona Divide, March, April, I was- You
0: probably, helped. You March, probably, April,
1: helped. You probably was,
0: helped Kira do it.
1: No, I don't think I did. I think I was in Wisconsin for her, for her Leona Divide, but she'd have to, I'd have to look back. I, yeah. I I don't I don't really remember. I
0: don't want to get you in the doghouse here. Yeah. I don't
1: really remember if I did if I uh, helped her at Leona divide or not, but that year. Right. We can just say that year and that one race. Yeah. <laughs> but she was right about I might have the knack for for uh, ultras because I the the lowest place that I had finished that year in the fifty K's was second. And I think I won four of the eight races, something like that, uh, and won the 50 mile race. So, so the, I guess I had the, the knack for figuring out how to, how to run those, which she was very helpful in that, to state, just go out there and have fun and run easy.
0: Let's give a um, shout out to Kira here and Kira Hedinger races, because you know this is their passion, this is her baby. You guys don't have children, so yeah you have you have a, I have a stepson brood, you have a you have a brood of children because she has a whole <laughs> host of races
1: yeah those right? are her those are her children now those are she, her
0: babies yeah her, and, her- uh, and, and what i like about what i really am liking about what i'm seeing with what kira's doing is a big part of it is to get people out get them out there in the nature get them healthy doing stuff it's not just about a race, yeah. and making money. And- she's not.
1: She's not raking yeah. it in with the with the races. I mean, she obviously. Yeah. She she obviously does. She does okay, but there's so many expenses involved in them. It's really well, her passion it, to get people out there. That's why exa- she does it. Exactly. No, no, no. I see that.
0: Sea. Yeah, because she's not just doing Leona Divide these big ultra that appeal to the ultra community. She's doing stuff that's bringing people into the sport. Yeah. 5k, 10k, half marathon trail races, which are which are in areas people can access and, and accessible. And I, I really wanna I've i I I want her to know that I've and you to know that I've been paying attention as like I remember she had that health fair, and I hope we can organize something like that again, you know, around races, because people need to get, you know, like what we're gonna be talking about or what we are talking about is so critical to you know making this sustainable right
1: correct but at the same time she's also also has to look out for a lot of the stuff that she does ends up not making money she ends up paying, oh. paying paying out for a lot not that I have to tell that to you but it is it's just it has to be said that it's just a passion that she has because there's a lot of the events that she has put on that she, she has money. paid for <laughs> Yeah. Right. No, no.
0: I, I think that it's important. I'll state this, like the ultra endurance sports out there would not exist for volunteers and oh. people like Kira were putting it on because you could not pay for that and make it work. It would just, yeah. and then the other thing is when I first got into running in the early 2000s as a consistent thing, I was a member of a local club and I somehow got roped into becoming the race director for a local five ten K race that that our club put on as a fundraiser on labor day. And I did it for like three years and was able to bring the race back to profitability. Profitability. mean, we made money. We didn't, you know, I didn't charge for my break it in. (laughs) Right, right, right. But we were able to, to, to net some money, right, put into the club, put into a scholarship fund for the local high school, But that experience, and then working with Greg Soderlin, the former RD for Western States as sort of his black ops guy, I got these insights into what it takes to to be a race director, and you couldn't pay me enough money. If somebody said, Peter, here's a million dollars to direct Western States, I'd say, you're you're crazy. Because, I mean, people don't realize just what a pain in the butt it is working with agencies, insurance all the requirements and then you have all these all all these athletes who don't realize what you're dealing with and they got these petty little things they're bringing to you all the time and you you don't want to tell them you know like like if, if this you don't want to
1: be harsh to them
0: right yeah. right right it's not like it's it's like it's not like on the construction site where it was somebody who they never come up to you and say oh well you don't have enough water on this job for us in the cooler. You don't have any ice in the water cooler. You know, you just say, "Get the, you know what, up back on your machine and get to work." Yeah, you can't you can't do that? No, you got nice. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's
1: there, there's uh, the other thing too. These days is ultra running has become kind of a niche sport, and people are is super interested in it. And there's a lot of newbies that don't know, they don't even know that they're supposed to carry water bottles with them or, or put it a pack on. There's so many people we've had come up and the girls that do the check-in said, there was probably half a dozen people that set up, that said, where do I put this? It's their bib, where do I, what do I do with this? And like, well, you put, take the pins and you put the pin and you put it on something that you're not gonna take off. And we have all kinds of people coming across the line with their bib all packed into their backpack like they don't they don't really understand how anything works and they're not taking water bottles out on the course and it's it's actually very challenging for her to have to maneuver and and adjust to the newbies that are actually out on the course and you don't know that they're newbies and they're having trouble with stuff or they're not making cutoffs and Kira is one of the few race directors that actually does something that's Kind of nice for the runner is she get, offers the chance to drop down in distance so that you can still get a finish, so she's she's nice about that instead of not dude, getting dude, it.
0: I, dude, now that I'm we're doing this, we're, we'll move on here. But yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I need to interview Kira.
1: Yes, you I really need to do, do a
0: podcast with Kira. I, I, yeah. I think. Okay, Kira, big shout out <laughs> to you. So, so, okay, so the the journey back
1: oh, okay so the, the, first well, the year. journey
0: back is is we all know it's a hookup with kira that got you into ultra running that's that's the long and short of it right that's
1: the long and short of it i guess i could have just started with that <laughs> told you you're going to be sorry
0: no kira's going to be sorry she's probably like oh,
1: god <laughs>
0: <laughs> when she watches this be...
1: <laughs> i won't let her watch it anyway <laughs> so i don't know how far you want to continue but second year i just did I told myself in my second year of Ultras I'm going to just do 100 K's this year. And my second second 100k that I did was Waldo and I actually got a ticket from that race into Western States because of the when was that
0: 2012 or
1: 2012? Yeah, 2012 okay, so gotta, I raced.
0: You got a golden ticket into I got a golden
1: ticket. Yep. Okay. Yep. Came in right after Timmy Olson. Wait, did Timmy win? It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, but, that yeah. was the year, that was the year I was sponsoring him and he won everything.
1: Yeah, I think he ended up winning that. That was the year that he won states and then
0: set a course record. Yep. Yep.
1: So with with the entrant, the the ticket to get into Western states. Obviously, I'd never done a hundred miler, and I still had. I'm going to give a shout out again to Kira, and Scotty Mills and Tom Nielsen, uh, all people. Most people probably know who Scotty Mills is. Um, Tom
0: Nielsen Tom Nielsen, we need to shout out to Tom and Pam. They yeah. are they are the top they are top notch people, but Tom is such a low-key. Yeah, um, but yeah. such
1: a badass, badass oh, he, runner.
0: Yeah, no, he's a great guy.
1: Um, great guy. so I'm, w-
0: I'm really glad you're doing this because you're shouting out to Akira and and Scotty and and Tom. Uh, because you know it's like i said i, I was having this conversation with brie Bree lambert yesterday and we were talking about this and like you know it's really important to recognize who's helped you on your way because no no person's successful on their own
1: no and you have to figure it all out it takes it takes yeah. years of experience to figure all this out i had the best in the business
0: who'd already had those experiences who already <laughs> had
1: all <laughs> those and they said no when this happens do this I think I still have the email that was Scotty Mills, his top 30 things to make sure you do at Western States. And yeah, because of that, I went into the race just having a nice day out there, enjoying roundings. That That was my first hundred mile race. Yeah.
0: Had no idea
1: what I was doing.
0: Uh, And you finished top 10, right?
1: I did. My just to segue into that, I I ended up running from mile. I'm going to want to say something, mile like 18, 15 to 18, mile 15 to 18, or in the 15 to 18 range with none other than Carl Meltzer. We were just, on, on the, I was on his heels and he was on my heels. but You, guys, it- were
0: running, you guys were running basically, you ran uh, up to Elephant, past, you started running together past Lions Ridge down to yes. uh, about Duncan. Yes. Duncan yep. H. Duncan. Sure.
1: Duncan is where. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Duncan Canyon. Climbing up Duncan Canyon is where he and I first had words, and I, he was actually coaching Kira at the time, or okay. she, he had coached her for a couple months, and I had talked to him a little bit about that while we we're out there. Running, and then, so we ran from that mile all the way to when I finally passed him for the final time because we switched swap places quite a bit final time b- climbing up uh, to Greengate so that's mile 70 78
0: 78 to, 78 to 80.
1: Yeah 78. I, I got in the river got soaked in the river and I was at I was already at, in ninth place at the river fighting with Paul Terranova.
0: That uh, was a hot that was a fairly hot year 2013.
1: I think they're calling it and I might be wrong don't quote me on it but from what I understand it was the second hottest year on record
0: yeah yeah Um, i remember i was at dusty corner and there was just it was there was carnage there
1: that's what i was about to say there was so much carnage i'm passing guys like hal kerner and jorge maravilla and i'm like what's going on mark Levison was 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 uh was pacing me and he's like we got another one he's like right he i didn't know what place i was even in i know carl had told me early on that we're in like 20 21 we're in like 20 or 22nd place he's like perfect we're sitting perfect i was like okay cool but yeah, we're, as we're t- catching people after after running down to the river.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's where you really, I remember when I ran in 2006, that was the really hot year. I remember I got to Forest Hill and I was like 25 minutes behind the 24 hour cutoff. And I remember Ling Rue saying to me, you can be okay with a bronze buckle. I said, let's just do it. And my friend Bruce was pacing me and he got me going and we were just coming up on people and we're trying to get them to run with us. So come on, hang on. The key is
1: just just get a clip going. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to pound it. Just, just
0: stay. But as I went down running. the river, there was like carnage. There was people like stumbling around, falling over on the trail. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, I didn't finish in the top ten, but that was my first race, and like, I went. I got a silver buckle. I was like one of those forty-three people that got a silver buckle that year, and. I, I only got passed by Eric Duby climbing up to Roby Point. I passed people, and then from Green Gate on, I was alone. I mean, it was just it was just. But 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 the going down to the river, it was just like I must have passed twenty or thirty people.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how how much carnage happens at that on race. a hot year
0: on a hot year.
1: Yeah, on a hot year because I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And that's exactly. the
0: thing. Like you know, there's been a lot of people that like to want to trash Western states because it was the first and it's. It's still a great race you know it doesn't i i I think it's just a great but you know there's been a lot of you know smack talk smack talking about western states right
1: yeah you won't get me in on that on the smack i know i know my life my life was western states for the next six years yeah Yeah. because i finished top 10 i was seventh i actually got seventh the first year i did it nobody knew who i was (laughs) and uh, there's still people that don't know who i am which is fine but yeah, seventh place the first year, got, went into it. I was 10th place the next year, and I ran an hour and fifth, hour and 10 minutes faster the next year. Yeah. Uh, but I was 10th. And then the next year, I ended up dropping the next year because I was like, oh, I'm 10th. I, I kind of got this, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to set the, the new course record for 40 plus. Yeah. And that was in the back of my mind. And I also had somebody had a bug in my ear that you don't need to take salt. You have enough salt on you, inside your body.
0: Oh God, that was when that research came out that pulled all the S-taps off the table. Don't even get me started on that.
1: Yeah, so this idiot (laughs) didn't listen to what I had done the two years before, and I didn't take much salt. And I was, I I came into the first spot you can see crew, which is Robinson, or first spot that I had crew, Robinson flat on my third year doing it. And I just told Kira, I was like, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Um, so i was dehydrated and i ended up
0: and you but you couldn't process the water you had no electrolytes
1: right and i ended up dropping at green gate i made it I i wanted to drop at michigan bluff because i was just done that's the year that i kind of hiked in with dylan bowman he was done also uh up to michigan bluff and i ended up continuing on all the way to green gate so another 20 miles of peeing blood i mean Uh, we all know that it's not 100% blood but there's blood in your urine if you if you go to that point where you're so dehydrated so yeah puking peeing blood and i just said well, I'm bloated
0: done. bloated cuz you're retaining water but no electrolytes yeah so yeah, it was a bad yeah, yeah. bad remember, year so i remember that research one thing, yeah. One thing about Western states, just so the audience has some context, you know, like where I was going with the smack talking about it, because you know, there's people that like say, oh yeah, it's Western states. It's not as hard. Well,
1: Carl Meltzer said that. Carl no, Meltzer Carl, said it himself. Carl, He's like, it's a track uh, beat.
0: right. But here's here's the deal that that no none of these guys who like to poo-poo Western states won't want to admit. There's two things that make Western states. Are as tough a race as any other, it's just a different variable. One is the heat, like a lot of the races that are technically harder, more elevation gain. You don't have the you don't have the potential for heat like Western states,
1: right? right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: Okay, and two, and this is a more nuanced one, is that Western states for an elite runner western states you literally can run every step of that course right you're not gonna you're not gonna run every step of wasatch hard rock you know you're gonna be power hiking at some point
1: even the two climbs the two the two climbs out of the canyon yeah on fresh legs you could definitely run it
0: well and some of the top runners have run up those oh yeah
1: i'm sure yeah because the difference between my pace going up it when i'm hiking uh, and, like, I would just compare it to Timmy Olsen's pace. He was doing 12 minute miles going up it. I was doing 15 to 18 minute miles going up it. And I was hiking, running, hike, run, hike, run, hike, run. But I remember Paul Terranova telling me, Yep, if you're going to finish in top 10, you have to run everything to get to Michigan Bluff, which is the second climb out of the canyons. Right. And it's all, it is, it's all runnable.
0: It's even not both so easy, climbs. And so that's what. To me that's what gets people is the fact that it can get hot and you can run every step and people as the year i ran it as brian morrison showed us you can literally run yourself into the ground because that was the year he collapsed on the track yep you know and and so it's it's tough but in a different vein from some of these other places i mean the the other race that really interest me because I've done sections of it multiple times of the whole course but never run it. But I would if I could ever run another hundred had the time and space to train for it would be Angeli's Crest. Mm. You don't see the elites go run that one either because that that course is hot and a lot of it's runnable. It's it's runnable. It's runnable. It's, runnable. it's another like Western states. Right. And you will you know the it's like the elite runners don't do well in the heat right
1: yep exactly
0: you know, so, so it's kind of an interesting thing so you had your western states years and hopefully you'll get back at some point
1: i hope to because now i'm in the 50s and i think i could still hit the time i think i can we don't know unless i did try it yeah
0: i think both you and jeff have that capability so you know hopefully you'll get another one but uh Let's kind of fast forward to the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016 because that was – when did you start using Vespa? Was it before? Let's see. It was was 2015 that Jeff contacted me.
1: If Jeff contacted you in 2015, you must have run Hurt in 2016.
0: Yes, that's when he, you were crewing him. It's, so yeah.
1: 2016, he, he and I are good friends. We were friends for years before Hurt, the Hurt race in, in Hawaii. Um, and Kira was actually in that race as well. So we were all… Was,
0: you were Hawaii. crewing for both Kira and Jeff.
1: Well, it didn't start out that way. Kira had a tough, a tough go, and she ended up not being able to um, finish, finish Hurt that year. Uh, the year before she had finished, um, but she wasn't satisfied with the finish. So she she tried it again. She's like, what am I doing doing this again? <laughs> anyway, uh, Jeff was at that race. And, and when I walked into the airport and saw what he looked like from what I knew him as and to what he looked like when he was at the airport, when because we, we rode together to the condo we were staying at, I was like, who are you? The transformation was unreal. Not that Jeff was ever like huge like but it, it, he was just leaned out to the point where it was like, Wow, what what I was like, What 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 happened to you? And he's like, Oh dude, you you gotta get on this. He's like, Oh FM diet. He's and he went through it and we talked that's all we talked about for the first two days before this before the hurt race. And um, during the race after Kira had dropped, I just switched into the mode one I was crewing, so now I'm gonna crew Jeff. And it was funny. I remember him coming into, I think it was his lap three or four or five. I think it was lap three.
0: forty-five. I think it is Lap like three. three. Yeah. So
1: lap three, he leaves the aid station, and he turns around as he's leaving, and he's like, he just goes, "It's working." He's like, "It's working," and it was the fact fact he was taking Vespa, and it was the fact that he wasn't eating a bunch of car. He had taken hardly any food with him, so he was at on minimal. Carbohydrate, carbohydrates, just enough, I guess, just enough. But he was popping, popping Vespa and he was,
0: and a lot of salt.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> life,
0: right. Yeah.
1: But he, he just said it's working and he won the race. And it was funny. We all went to the awards ceremony and by we all, it was, we all went together. It was Gary Robbins, it was Yasin Daboon, it was uh Jeff, it was myself, it was Kira. We were all, we were all hi- walking from the condo where. Where that crew was staying and walked to the awards ceremony and just like the crazy thing is is i'm not even sore he's like look it and he started doing lunges two days after the race it wasn't even two days after yeah monday monday yeah Yeah, two days after the race he's doing lunges showing everybody how how he can't he's like not even sore that he can do lunges walking to the walking to the to the ceremony and uh it was it was mainly Jeff's Jeff's influence uh, and seeing that process that that got me into going to we actually went to an extreme the way Jeff did it because I wanted to duplicate what he had done uh, so he did a sugar fast is what he did a five day sugar sugar detox sugar fast sugar detox whatever you want to call it
0: I, the way I like to describe it for the audience in a way to understand is is because nutrition diet is too too simplified because they don't they don't include digestion right digestion is a big part of diet and it's never talked about so the way we do it with OFM is is you have protein sources you see as food so not whey protein shakes all these fake foods right you know like ensure or whey protein shakes real food like whole eggs whole cuts of meat fresh seafood fresh okay and then you can what what you want to Keep out of your diet during a sugar fast is what I call concentrated carbohydrates. So, uh, you know, fruits and tubers and things like that that would have a lot of starch, grains that would have a lot of starch or sugars. So, non-starchy vegetables you can have those ad libitum, and this is this is something that people need to understand because non-starchy vegetables that you eat. Those actually, the, the carbs that are in them are, are locked in a carb, a car, a carb is locked in a fiber, water, mineral ma- matrix. So they transit into your colon, and they actually get converted mostly into fatty acids.
1: So, okay. you don't,
0: so they don't impact your blood sugar. So it's concentrated carbs, things that are concentrated, whether it's fruit, tubers like potatoes or sweet potatoes, and then your grain, and then all your sugar. Up, like sodas, candies, pastries, right. the obvious, So what I call the obvious suspects. So that's the point
1: I was trying to get across. Is I did this sugar fast. So we eat that. We ate vegetables. We ate protein, but no other simple carbohydrates. No fruit. And I was shocked about that one. We can't have any fruit. But what I was trying to do is get the body to not want these this sugar. And I have to say, day four, I think it was, I was, I was. I hated everything. I was like the TV would come on. I hated every TV station we were watching. Anything that I did, I was angry at what I was doing. But then the next day or so, I a switch flipped and I felt great after after that. And I I can remember like walking through the grocery store and seeing like cookies or cakes in one of those cases. I didn't even want it. I'd, and and I and I used to like to eat I had a sweet tooth. I liked candy. I didn't buy it you know, a lot. You're a
0: construction but, worker, you start the day off with a yeah. coffee, a cigarette, and a donut or a yeah. So I, I remember bagels those were page. big. Yeah, bagels yeah. were
1: big in the morning. So yeah, yeah, a lot of carbohydrates that that I used yeah. to like, that I desired. I no longer wanted. I didn't even care to have them. Ice cream didn't even care to. Didn't didn't even look twice at it.
0: Yeah, um, and so looking, that was the, at your, looking at your body type, you know, you're definitely an ectomorph. You know, you you definitely. What did you just call me? Ectomorph, thin. I mean, I'm. Mean, you're. You're <laughs> probably a Neanderthal, somewhat a Neanderthal like me. i I'm definitely a Neanderthal. Anyway, you know, it's a little easier to once you get that adaptation because it's really like, I just want meat. I might have some vegetables, but. <laughs> You know, steak and egg, you know, and that's what when people ask me, like, what do I do about protein? They're thinking I'm recommending some branch chain amino acid elixir of some sort. And I'm like, no, steak and eggs and a couple liver capsules. Yeah. That's all the protein. People ask me about uh what's that creatine monohydrate supplementation, creatine supplement people need to quit quit listening to all this marketing because if you go look at what how much creatine is in like steak and eggs and meat it's like there's plenty of creatine there
1: right nice you, you, don't,
0: you don't need to supplement because millions of years of evolution actually got it right <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh anyway so right uh my my movement into and trying vespa started right after meeting with jeff um, and and seeing his huge transformation in body type and his ability to finish the hundred miler and still be able to do stuff a couple days later so i i was all in on the on the diet and the and the and the type and the product and i haven't looked back i don't think i would change anything about the type of the type of way i was eating so i i I I was pretty much I would I didn't have that huge switch that you might have or you might see because other than eating a few sweets here and there I was really eating that way most of my life anyway. A lot of I, I was we, always we, concentrating on
0: fats yeah, and right and we tweak and you tweak it with like the liver capsules the right. vitamin D magnesium a few things like that yeah yeah now I do want to ask you while I got you on here because you know, if people still want to talk about, was it that summer of 2016 that you and Jeff did the awani Hawaii? Yeah,
1: yeah, actually it was. Yep, that was. I got a married. New... Kira's, Kira doesn't like this either. I got married the day after we were married. I got on a plane and, and flew. She always says that I I took my honeymoon with Jeff, um, because I got on a plane, flew to his house, and we did the Awahi canyons. We tried to do the the Hawaii trail from start to finish in the in the Wahi canyon so yeah 2016 that was the year
0: now people don't know that and that's kind of the, I, I was really interested in that because that's an epic place i've flown over it and i've wondered about it i've looked at maps and looked at pictures of people who've wrapped it or kayaked it and it's it's just epic because when you're flying over it's this huge plateau and then there's this like vertical it's like it's like a compressed version of the Roadrunner and the Coyote instead of this big landscape of sandstone with these bluffs and stuff, there's just this big straight plateau that comes together and then all of a sudden it's a couple thousand feet down. Is this Hawaii. Yeah, and less than a
1: quarter of a mile across.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, from an airplane, it looks like you could jump across it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we did that that year as part of a little um, piece that Jeff wanted to do about uh, with Patagonia about um, The last they called it the last darkness because there's hardly the the amount of artificial light that is there is one of the fewest few spots in the u.s that you can that you have no artificial light because because the um the towns are so far apart so
0: right and the canyon is so narrow that you the the artificial light doesn't filter into it
1: yeah well it's mainly up on the plateau also was part of it so Oh, okay yeah, either, yeah
0: could, it, is, it is miles from everything
1: yeah miles 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 like i, like I said
0: it. like i said i've flown over it and you can't see roads you know there's little dirt roads that go out to it but it's like it goes out and then there's like there's this cliff yeah it's 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 really cool interesting interesting and you can only do sections that that, that must have been interesting logistically too
1: well jeff didn't know logistically it was but we didn't know once we got down in there what it, what it actually looked like and it was you know trees that were only that big of around in in the canyon like right. growing up so there was not really a way a way around it it was through it you couldn't really you couldn't really see your way where you were going so it took us it took us probably 14 hours the first day, and I think we made it of the seven. What were we trying to do? 125 miles? I think we did 14 miles in seven, and it was like less than a mile an hour. Yeah. And we're like, oh no, we're not going to make it. But yeah, it was a lot of bushwhacking, a lot of bushwhacking and route finding. Yeah,
0: and, and you guys used a lot of VESPA on that one, but the yeah. pilot must have helped, helped really on that. Yeah.
1: I can't remember how many so if you're asking how many it's no no no. i'm gonna say a 100. so
0: okay so so basically from 2016 to now you've been doing the fat adaptation
1: yeah right yep absolutely to to say to if if we were to if we were to try to go with the difference that i feel uh between uh what i was running with with the 100 miler and without vespa and with vespa i can just say that i know i'm eating a lot less food i know that in in the in leona divide a couple weeks ago in 64 miles it took me 10 hours i i didn't i i don't have the exact number but it was somewhere between 2000 and 2500 calories that i had during maybe, the race
0: maybe yeah,
1: maybe And that's not a lot when you consider when my watch, which I hardly ever wear a watch, but I do when I train. When my watch says in five miles, I just burned 3,000 calories. (laughs) So 64 miles, I guess I should have burned. I don't know. I'm not going to try to guess the number, but I was definitely taking a lot less calories in with using Vespa. than.
0: And what about your recovery? Do you notice your recovery is better?
1: Oh, yes. Usually it was like four or five days. Now it's... Four or five days and not able to run for probably a week four or five days of super soreness and not able to run for over a week to now it is one maybe two days of soreness maybe two and i'm able to run within four days like of distance probably 15 i don't i don't really try to run more than 15 miles because i don't i don't really feel the need to try to put that many miles on right after, right after a a long distance event. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that, that I wanted to have you on here is, is going back to your profession. You wear a lot of hats. So you, you've, you've got a pretty demanding job slash career. You got to commute probably an hour, hour and a half every day. Right.
1: So yeah, I, I'm up, I have to wake up, in order to get to the job site, which is an hour, it's about 90 miles to work, and it's not the same job site, so I say about, because it's anywhere from 75 to 95 miles, depending on the job site that I'm on. So it's between an hour and 15, I, I'll, I'll, just say, I'll just say an average of an hour and, hour and 15 in the morning, and I have to get there early enough to get all my paperwork ready, because I don't have any time during the day once the day starts to do paperwork. And there's a lot of paperwork these days with safety and time sheets from the day before or the, or that day. So I, I give myself an hour in the morning before the crew gets there to get everything in my head set up and get all my safety paperwork done. So I'm getting there at five, five o'clock in the morning. So I have to leave at four earlier than four, like 3.45. So I'm up in the morning at three o'clock. Three. I, I get up, my alarm goes off at 3 o'clock in the morning every day. And I'd love to get up and go for a run at that time because it's…
0: It's a great time to run.
1: It's a great time to run when you wake up. I, I hear the benefits of it are, are great, but I don't know the physiological aspect of it or not. But I'd love to, but if I wa- if I were to get up, I'd have to get up at 2.30 to do a half-hour run. So, yeah, my job is demanding enough where… I have zero time during the day to do any type of training. And I'm up at three in the morning. I leave the job site after work at two thirty, or I'm supposed to leave at two thirty. I usually don't get out of there till three. Well, guess what? Traffic on the way home is now it's now rush hour and now I'm an extra half hour. So I'm I'm an hour and a half in the morning to work and two hours, sometimes two and a half hours home. I don't get home till four thirty or five. So now I have to figure out what I'm gonna Obviously, I'm figuring it out beforehand, but I have to figure out with the workload that I had and how tired I am from the workday, what I'm going to do for my run. Because, I mean, there's a lot, mostly during the week when I'm working, I hardly run at all. I do mainly like stretch routine or some sort of strength training. So you, try to
0: do, you try to do something, but it's it tends to be like at what an hour, hour to fifteen minutes, maybe, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. If I get out for a run, I'm doing a maximum of a one hour run, and then that's the one hour run with a little bit of stretching after. Now I'm at an hour and hour and a half. Thankfully, Kira always has dinner ready, and I don't have to spend time, you know, ma- managing that aspect of it. So, so in, other words,
0: in other words, if you go out for a run, you're quitting about the time you're starting to feel decent about your run. Yeah,
1: exactly. It takes a little bit to warm up. As yep. Matter of fact, yeah, my runs during on the weekends are, oh, I just hit eight miles. Now I finally feel like I'm loose, and now I can yeah. start, to, start to go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's mainly a I've turned I've turned my weekday runs into. Uh, not that I go to the weight room, but strength training, stretching, and um, interval. I'm going to start to do work into interval training workouts to to maximize my maximize my time to do some speed work. Well, let let, let's that.
0: talk about that, and I'll, I'll help you with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, good. So, so then you and – you, and, of course, you want to spend at least two or three nights a week kind of hanging out with Kira?
1: Well, we do get to spend – I mean, most of the nights are, obviously, it's just uh, after dinner. We'll just watch a little bit of TV and discuss stuff from the day. But, yeah, it's probably a half hour to an hour maximum mm-hmm. that, that we get to spend together. That's on the nights that I work out. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of nights where I don't do anything. <laughs> I'm just, too, no, no, I'm I just too tired from work, and I'm yeah. just like, I can't do it. I get home, I'll, I'll lay down on the floor and take a nap. And by that time it's now seven o'clock so that, that he, you know can go that's, to sleep. Exactly what,
0: that's exactly what i used to do is like get a shower and then just fall on the floor and soak up the air conditioning for for an hour
1: yeah sometimes i'll just park my truck and put the seat back in the driveway
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: but so the, yeah my weekends are the times that i actually get to run uh thankfully we don't do a lot of weekend work uh, but it always seems like when i come up on a big race two three weeks Three three to four weeks before we're working ten hour days and overtime and uh, stressful workload. It always seems that way. But yeah, my weekends are my are my time to get away into the mountains and, and do my longer runs, which are anywhere from thirty miles uh, on a Saturday and then a 20, 20 to twenty five, maybe another thirty miler on, on the on Sunday. So a lot um, of times
0: you're able to ride do back to backs.
1: Yeah, I do a lot. That's only coming up on a big hundred-mile race, though. Like, right. I don't put that kind of stress on my body the entire season. I just focus mainly on that when I'm uh, coming up on the on the, up on the the tail end of a of a big block of, of workout for for the hundred miler.
0: No, and on top of that, I think you said you know you're you're doing stuff around the house, right? You you're because you're handy. You yeah, I still have do
1: the do. still have the house You got the,
0: the honeydews
1: yeah yeah a lot of those don't get done she's like i thought i asked <laughs> like yeah you did i feel bad all right i'll get on that so
0: yeah 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 she's then, she's
1: she's good with it she's like i understand
0: she no, knows she it. And, and on top of that like like we said you know kira has this brood of races that she's this, looking after and you're helping out with with those too tell us what you're doing this with true that.
1: this is true also so her her race season starts around october now she's got I think nine, ten races. Uh, so she'll start right around October, and she puts on. It's it's usually never it's never shorter than a 50k. Um, but you know her work week is managing the emails and setting setting up for what's coming up for the races. And then I usually, if they're close to the house, I'll, obviously I'll stay at home. But she's always gone from for her races on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, setting up. Uh, marking courses uh, and then i'll I'll bring a lot of the products that she has to give out like medals and shirts. I'll bring those up Saturday morning, if not Friday night if it's close enough. Uh, but obviously I'm working so friday night i'll I'll try to get the stuff in my car and up to the race site which the race the, the race that she directs that's the furthest away would be Ray Miller up in the Santa Monica mountains, which at the time that I would be leaving would be probably three hour drive. When in the morning, if I wake up, I usually wake up in the mornings on Saturday morning to to get the stuff that's needed there, which is the start line, the start line shirts that she gives away. And check check in is at four. So I'll have to get up at two in the morning, not have to, I don't have to do any of it. I choose to because I want to help her. And so I'll have to get up at two in the morning and do the drive, set up the start line, get all the stuff together. And then I get the opportunity because she is the race director to jump in any of the races that I want to. And I would say over half of them, especially the bigger ones. I usually jump in the race and, and then race and then
0: or you can go out for your own run if it's a shorter race or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but what usually happens
1: is if I'm not racing, there's so many problems that come up that she needs she has my help to go check course marking or go get more ice for this aid station or
0: mm-hmm.
1: pick up a dropped runner or grab drop mm-hmm. drop bags and bring them back to the finish line or go get more food for the finish line, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, uh, i'm also and,
1: i'm also the social butterfly that's what she says i i i'm at the finish line congratulating people and talking to them and getting getting their stories because i love talking to ultra runners or they're, they're uh i love, talking to, I love talking to anyone
0: yeah you're talking to me <laughs> <laughs> but the point is uh that you've got a full life and and Having yourself metabolically fit, not just being able to race fast, but metabolically fit, probably just really helps add to being able to make it all happen.
1: True. Yeah. My mom always says, Where do you get your energy from? I don't know. <laughs> Kira yeah. says it too. She's like, You're always going.
0: Yeah. That's and, all I know. And this is what this provides. You know, do you, do you remember what it was like when you were like doing high carb? Or, yeah, I, like you said, you never really did. I never much. really
1: did high carb, but I do remember when I would eat something sweet or sugary that it definitely produces a crash. Yeah. Yeah. And now I, I've progressed, not progressed, but now I kind of do a lifestyle of the intermittent fasting. So anytime I do the intermittent fasting, I just feel great. Oh, I know. It's I know. So and, good. The,
0: way we, the, the way we teach it at OFM is we don't. And you'll probably be able to relate to this totally, is like we don't tell people what kind of a fasting window and feeding window they need because guess what? When you're when you're fat adapted doing the OFM protocols, fasting just happens. It does. You just get busy and all of a sudden 14, 16, 18 hours goes by.
1: Yeah. I never I never ever really feel hungry. And when I do, I'll I'll eat something. So that's kind of the way it goes. And the intermittent fasting is so easy to do because I'm not really hungry.
0: Yeah, and as long as you stay hydrated,
1: that is a key right there. The right. thing when I started doing that the the diet, I didn't realize. I didn't do my own research. I I was I was a very poor candidate for somebody that's doing a diet because I did not research anything. I kind of pretty much just
0: did what kicked Jeff off, did. Kick,
1: kicked off of what Jeff was yeah. was telling me or or saying, and I could tell him. I I, I was like I'm. Have, I'm struggling. This was when it first started. He's like, dude, you need to start taking some salt. Sounds like you're 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 uh, lax on a little bit of sodium in your system. So when I started doing that, yeah, the the hydration end of it picked up, and and def- definitely changed once I started drinking more water and taking more salt.
0: Well, like you said, what did you said you used it Lay on a divide because it turned hot on you.
1: I went through twenty one thousand milligrams, so twenty one grams of salt and a gram of salt is a quarter teaspoon. So I went through five teaspoons of salt during the six, during the 10 hours, which yeah. is quite high.
0: Yeah, I notice even for the day, if for me in the day, like in the afternoon, if I don't bolus with sodium, I just like wanna fold. Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting thing. So any other commentary you, you have about, you know, your lifestyle, how things are working for you, where you want to go, what's your, what's your plans this year? Tell us. Well, well,
1: okay. Your... I can give you my plans for this year. Yep. Let's, let's start there. Plans for the year are
0: you've already got a second at Leona divide. That's a big race.
1: Yeah. And just to segue into kind of where I, where I've been in the last year, I didn't really race at all. Last year, I had a, I had a fractured, uh, metatarsal. So I wasn't able to do any of the races. I was actually in Western States last year at age 50, really banking on the fact that I could probably get this course record. And then I ended up having a fractured fractured foot. I, I'm not 100% sure uh, what day or what, what actually did it, but it happened. Let's just move on from there. And so I, I, I did the 100K three weeks ago. Now, kind of feeling like a newbie because I didn't know how my body was going to react. Newbie being, you know, you're, you're, you're apprehensive about whether or not you're packing enough food or what to take. So it was kind of like a starting over process. But now that I've got that one nailed down, I've got a 50K that I'm going to do next weekend, which is Kira's race, O'Neill Park 50K. And then I'm going to be in her 100 miler, the SAMO 100 miler in June. That's going, a,
0: that's going to be a tune-up race right that's a, that's a
1: that's correct that's a b race i don't really see i training. don't really see it's a training run exactly yeah. and i'm going to try to simulate what i need for calories and what i would like to take as food for my big race of the year which is hard rock and i can't remember if it's july 14th 16th somewhere around that i think it's the 16th it's, like, some year, it's
0: the middle of july
1: yeah hard rock 100 is going to be my main focus this year until I get done with it. And then my focus after that jumps to I'm in Moab 240 because I was supposed to do that one last year as well and went and worked an aid station there to uh, get my entry fee transferred to this year. So Moab 240 is also on the, uh, in, the, in, the in the plans for this and year.
0: That's November, early November? That's
1: October, middle okay. of October okay. or early October
0: early October. Okay. I can't remember when all these races are.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's tough to keep track of all of them. Um, So that's the,
0: that's another another a race because of the distance, right? Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Um,
0: Who do you got crewing for you?
1: As of right now, I don't have anybody set up for the crew on that one. There's a ton of people that want to come up and come out and I hope for hard rock. I've got, I've got more than I need for hard rock, but I don't blame anyone. That's good. That's, that's the new, destination race i i feel everybody wants to go there um, rock yeah
0: i cut. you know what as beautiful as it is it's like it's like i spend a lot of my time running in the high sierras and i won't i won't be able to get back there till late august september this year with snow but i you know it's I, it's almost kind of like i like that the fact that colorado is big colorado races The Utah races get all the press because I go out in this back country and it's epically beautiful. And and to a point, Howie Stern and I have had some conversations about this, it's the same thing. You know, he lives in Silverton, he photographs hard rock, loves it. It's beautiful. But the high Sierras have, are just, the granite there is amazing. The redwoods, the sequoias are amazing it's just epic stuff but there's no races there there's no yeah, real races. There's, that's there's a few races on the east side a few little races in the foothills on the on the west side but you know in the back country there's nothing
1: you're not the first person that said that i've i have a friend that always said that he's like i've been all over the world in the sierras
0: the southern Eastern Sierras. City. yeah you go from sonora past south in the oh. and i remember one time i was up in auburn talking to some people and i was saying Talking about how the running down in the southern Sierras was better than up in the northern Sierras on the western, and I'm not trying to take away from you either, right? Yeah. And then Tim T. Huitmeyer was there, and he said, "Yeah, it is better." I mean, everybody's like, I no, it's better Western States Trail," blah blah blah. And Tim says, "No, it's better because he spends a lot of time down."
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to access the the Sierras yeah. also. So that's, oh, this that's year the
0: access is, is impossible. So. You
1: shouldn't have said that though. Now you're going to have everybody come in to check it out. Just kidding. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, yeah, but the problem is, is I the dare access, not. the access and then if you do have access, those the, those access to get over the passes and stuff, you know, you've been up there. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it, it, it 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 you know, it weans people out real quick. Right. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, I think that's that's all I have to to expound upon. We can finish off with just that's my race season this year. I don't have any real goals for, for trying to get into anything for next year yet. Uh, just see how the 240 goes. I really do enjoy the, the super long distance is what I'll call it. The, the 200 plus miles definitely has its own set of issues that you that you come up on during the race mainly sleep deprivation it's a complete it's, it's crazy yeah.
0: it, it's a completely different animal and it's got to be managed way different a 100
1: way different yeah it's not it's not by two yeah <laughs> because you're going from 100 to 200 doesn't mean it's 100 miles is this hard and 200 miles is that much harder it's 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 totally different there's yeah. so many different ebbs and flows in in that 200 miler that you come on. That um, and I've only done one to know. Uh, Which one did you do? I did Bigfoot.
0: Oh, you done Bigfoot? Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. That one. I I always I always put it as I was pacing myself because I don't I didn't take a pacer with me. So I was so out of it and not knowing where I was or what time it was or what was going on that I was I was mainly. I, I remember a couple points where I was physically out loud saying, don't drink all your water because you got to save some for Jesse. He's the one that's running. Or, don't eat all your food. Jesse needs some. And I'm like, wait, uh, I am the one that needs it.
0: Yeah, It's funny because I, in 2017, I paced and crewed for a guy I was coaching. And he did the triple crown plus the Okinawa survival run, which is 250 miles around Okinawa and all in a within a four months time span and he actually got stronger as he went because he was was all in on ofm and just got just
1: well to 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 back up to that at the at the end of my 200 miler i was okay i'll just tell this little piece because i know it's we've been going on a while so we're at my i'm at mile 100 and and a no 190 <clears throat> I'm at mile 190, and I'm chasing down third place and I come into the aid station and my brother was there with, with Kira and I said, how long ago did Joe leave? And they said, 10 minutes ago, I said 10 minutes in 10 miles. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to catch him. There's no way I can do it. Cause I was running as hard as I could. I was like, there's no way I can catch him. I was like, that, that would be faster than one minute per mile. I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do it. And they're like, what are you talking about? 10 miles? You got, you have 13 miles to go to, to the finish. I was like, "Wait, what? 13?" I was like, "I can do this." So I took off out of the aid station. So if, if your, Kira was going to pace me to the finish, so fast that she couldn't even k- catch up. She's like, "You got, you're doing sub six minute miles right now." It was a little bit of a downhill, so, but sub six minute miles. That last 13 miles, I my 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 tracker wasn't really working, but I know it took me about 14 hours to do the third a 30k section in the race like hours previous this 30k i did in 6 hours wow so the the last the last 30k of the race i did in 6 hours when i was focused on trying to catch third place you caught him oh yeah i caught him i him by over an hour so in 13 miles i'm by over an hour
0: wow and and you got third place yeah wow congratulations uh wow yeah that's that's crazy so I couldn't
1: i couldn't believe how strong i was at the end of two days three but days almost three days of running
0: that's the that's the what the, the advantages of fat adaptation yeah you know you're not you're not just burned up and you're i bet you were popping vespa's like crazy
1: <laughs> oh that's what i wanted to say for the hundred milers i still even though i'm taking less carbohydrates in them i'm still sick of eating by the time i get to like mile 80 i'm like i can't fathom putting something else in my mouth and swallowing it i'm so sore from drinking fluids and eating stuff and it's amazing i and this isn't just because the product It's this is the way i would tell anybody is i'll have a vespa and it like gets me through the last 20 miles i'll feel an energy surge I don't know if it's a if it's if it's the placebo effect or what it is, but I'll pop it a. Doesn't matter.
0: It doesn't matter because it just works. Whatever,
1: whatever it, it is. Who cares if it yeah.
0: it's a placebo? It yeah, works.
1: So I know the package says you can only have eight a day, which we made a joke about when we were crewing for Jeff last year at Hard Rock, and one of the guys made a comment. He's like, he's already had six today. I don't think we should give him any more, because you're only supposed to have eight a day, and it's only fifty miles in. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I. The the Vespa concentrate is like, I will not leave home without it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's a a product that's good.
0: People will say, well, I'm not an elite athlete like Jesse or Jeff, um, but you're somebody who's got a lot going on and a real day job and a lot of responsibility and it actually adds to it.
1: Yeah, in that aspect of it, a, a healthy lifestyle only helps you enjoy life more. So why wouldn't you want to do something that, aids your body and giving you and letting you perform just getting going out the door and getting you know going out for a hike or you don't have to be a racer just going out and getting up for the day or going to rake leaves yeah. or like where i am stacking firewood anybody can use this stuff yeah. this this lifestyle to better better what they better their life is all that all that matters really To get up and feel energetic and not tired and enjoying life is i mean that's what everybody strives for so eat right
0: eat right and enjoy yourself Yeah, yeah that's right enjoy life all right man thanks very much
1: all right thank you for having me